Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. You know, I, I frequently begin episodes by letting you know that you are in for a treat. And then we follow up with these guests to inspire you with their music or their writing or the story of all they've overcome. In today's episode, you are in for a treat, not only because of what this individual has done in his life, all that he's overcome, all that he is doing, but in the midst of a storm, in the midst of an economic recession, in the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of social unrest and social injustices and everything else that we face as individuals, as a nation, and as nations, there remains individuals who are showing up every day doing extraordinary things humbly, humbly, assertively, intentionally, and faithfully. And in doing so, they are changing the world. And Dr. Art McCoy is one such example. He grew up in an impoverished community in my own backyard in St. Louis, Missouri. He grew up African-American. He grew up with some challenges that were in front of him. He has gone on, though, to become one of the most successful leaders that I've ever interviewed on this podcast. And as you listen to it, you're going to hear his story. You're going to hear his heart. You're going to hear his faith. And you're going to hear the impact of a guy who's showing up every day on fire with purpose. What he can do in his life, what he's inspiring the kids and the teachers and the community to do in their lives, and ultimately what he's reminding you today as you listen in on what remains possible in your life. No excuses, my friends. After you hear this episode, no excuses. So buckle up, get ready for an awesome ride. Before you even listen a step farther, what I encourage you to do Tell your friends, tell your community, send this out on your social post. They, they will want to listen to a conversation, not about which side is right, not about who is more wrong, not about all the things that have happened in the past or all the things we have to do going forward. Instead, they're going to hear a story about a man who is working every day with a community in mind to ensure, to ensure collectively that our best days are in front of us. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing journey. He's an amazing guest, and he's with us today to unpack how we can unify, how we can build bridges, how we can find common ground, how we can remind the one in front of us of their hidden genius, of their superhero skills, of the gift of their life. You're going to love Art McCoy. He's my friend. He's a superintendent. He came into a school in Jennings, Missouri that was failing. It was about to be disincredited from the state of Missouri. And now over the last five years, he's graduated 100% of his seniors into the state of Missouri. He's radically changing health care up there. He's radically changing education up there. He's radically changing policing up there. He's radically changing lives up there. And today he's going to change yours. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to my friend and a guy that we can look up to. His name is Dr. Art McCoy. Art McCoy, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. God bless you, brother. It's so good to be with you. Man, there, there is so much divisions taking place in our community right now. There's so much negativity in our communities right now. There's so much poverty and racism even still in our communities right now. There's so much reason some would say for despair in our communities right now. And then you step into the room 
Mm, and then you step it. into the room. And what I've noticed is I've learned more about you, more about your life, more about your impact, more about your smile, and more about the way you lead others forward is you refuse. You refuse to give into negativity. That's not something you learned in education. That's not something you learned at university level. That's not something you learned yesterday through a, a book you read. I think it came out of your childhood. So I want to begin not where we started in the introduction, Art, but I want to begin with your childhood, man. Would you take us way back, all the way back to Jennings, Missouri, when you were a little one growing up? Wow. Wow. Well, thank you, my brother. I just had to say, God bless you. So good to always see you, my friend. Uh, growing up was something. I say from the start, my mother had me at age 43, and they tried to have her uh, not have me. The physician said, have an abortion. But she was a church-going, praying woman, and she says, no, the Lord has another plan in mind. I'm going to pray over my stomach, and we're going to move forward. And, and literally, I mean, she played the church organ, and she would rock on the organ and pray over me in the church, and they would lay hands on her stomach, and I came out all right. And I tell people, even though the doctor said I was going to be uh, mongoloid and, and handicapped and crazy, I said, I, God had another plan. And so, but even though I was okay, my mom, literally, it's, I sucked the life out of her. She lost her eyesight, acquired glaucoma, her teeth fell out, her fingernails fell out, and she, she, she was tough, and she was hurting. Uh, and I recall even as like a four-year-old, five-year-old coming to my mom's bedside after she had all her last teeth extracted from literally me having sucked the calcium out of her. And I said to her like a four-year-old, five-year-old would, Mom, don't worry, your teeth will grow back. Because that's what a kid thinks, you know, when you lose your teeth. <laughs> that's exactly right. It happened to me. It happened to you. And it grew back. And my mom just best she could smiled. Uh, but sure enough, she got some false teeth. And, and, and I thought they all came back magically. magically. But nonetheless, <laughs> that was the sacrifice of my mom. And she literally was legally blind by that time and totally blind by my teens. My dad um, had one leg. And um, he was handicapped since three because of no insurance. And swinging on the merry-go-round, he fell off and he cut himself. His parents never took him to the doctor and it acquired gangrene and they had to sever it before it poisoned him to death. And so having a mom who was legally blind and a dad who had one leg, it literally taught me how to really work hard, work as a team, be humble, and to persevere, to literally do anything and everything we could. Mm. My dad would tell me stories about... For instance, the karate uh, young man in, in school who was, uh, it's a fable, but it's a great story where there was a young man who was discouraged, who didn't see the best in life because he had had an accident and lost his limb, his, his arm. And, uh, but his, his, one of his teachers taught him how to still operate and do karate despite having one arm by teaching him the special move. And I'm sure you know about that story. <laughs> and the, and the, 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 the long story short is that young man practiced every day did super well and ended up competing and won championships and became the state champion karate fighter at his level and age level, beat sumo wrestlers and others. And when people asked, how did you do it? The young man said, I just did what my teacher taught me. And then so when the camera reporters came to the, to the teacher and said, well, how did you teach this one-armed kid to, to be such the karate fighter? And he said, well, you see a one-armed kid, but what I see is a guy that if he does a roundhouse spin kick, you can't stop him because the only way to stop him is to pull his right arm and he doesn't have one. And that kick becomes the antidote towards making him a champion. Well, that was in my spirit that you take your deficit 
and you make whatever it is your springboard. Your pain becomes your springboard for your purpose. Your, your poverty becomes a springboard for your purpose. Your pigmentation becomes a springboard for your purpose. So if you're black, lean into excellence. Show what good fatherhood can be because if there's a deficit in, that, in our culture where 68 to 71% of homes are ran by females and don't have a dad, then lean into it, be an excellent dad. And if you're white, lean into the understanding that there are some things you can do to reach one. Each one should reach one. Each one should teach one of what family is like, of what investment is like, of what life can be like. And so I literally was raised in a home with that culture. I'm not ashamed about it. My parents are four generations of preachers and ministers. And so the, the word is our foundation. The Lord, the joy of the Lord is our strength in the deepest of times, brother, you have to lean on that joy and lean on that strong foundation because it will carry you to, to so far. And even when you still need help, the word says, just look up to the hills, which come of our help. That means there's going to be a brighter day. There's going to be your help. Are, from are, you are giving us Sunday morning on Thursday morning right now. <laughs> Tell me, oh gosh, where to begin? What I was going to ask is, are you this exuberant with your joy and faith in front of your staff and students? I know we're racing forward now through age five childhood all the way up until your role as a superintendent, but is this same enthusiasm for life and looking up when others are saying, look down? Is, is that yeah. something you feel every day? Is that something you would share with your, your students, your staff? Every day. Every day I teach my staff. This, this is what I tell the people who work with me and for me as a superintendent of schools, overseeing a million people, children overall. Every group that I work with and for, I say the root word of administration is ministry. And the root word of ministry is service. Hmm. And the root cause of being a Christian is service with love because God is love. Jesus's commandments was to love thy neighbor as thyself and to love the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. I literally say that in public schools, and I, I will take off a position, like I'll take off this jacket if they don't want me to talk about the Lord. It's gone like that. I mean, it's like, for I mean, those I'll listeners take right now, because now everybody's watching. For the listeners, Art McCoy is now jacketless on the podcast. He ripped it off, people. <laughs> That's, just That's exactly right. And authentic. Art, you are superintendent of Jennings. You also grew up in the area. And so rather yes. than talking about what it looks like today and the phenomenal work you're doing right now, I want you to describe for our listeners and viewers, what was Jennings like? If you're just being honest about it for you as a little boy growing up, what's, what's Jennings like? Great question. You know, it, in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was gang ridden. It was a bloods and disciples kind of situation where there were a bunch of people who were essentially trying, dying to live, but ultimately living to die, meaning dying from gunshots, selling marijuana bags. The school was uh, provisionally accredited and facing the loss of its accreditation. Uh, it was a massive issue of white flight because in the 80s and the 70s, my, my family was the first black family on the block in Jennings of Elta Roads in, 19, in 1974. I came along later and was born being one of the only, if not one of two blacks on the street. And then by a decade further than that, or at least 15 to 20 years beyond that, most if not all the whites had already moved and went further west. And it was a matter of it being a takeover by of mediocrity, of ignorance, and of apathy. 
and so, you know, when you have a takeover of, of mediocrity, ignorance, and apathy, people ask, well, what is that? That means just get by, which is, you know, the, the, the worst of the 11 commandments, you know, don't get caught and just get by. And uh, ignorance is the, the biggest killer of most people, what you don't know and what you don't even know that you don't know. And then ultimately apathy is not wanting to do anything about it. So ultimately that's what was beginning to take over within Jennings. And over the process of the past decade, now having been back in my home place where I grew up, we have, God has allowed us to clean up the mediocrity, to destroy a great degree of the ignorance, literally having 100% graduation rates from high school uh, for five years in a row. And some people say, all right, that's nice, but you're socially promoting them. They still can't read. Well, I'm one that looks at the data and, and know that it's an issue across the nation where 75% of African-Americans can't read and we're 98% African-American. So we have conquered reading where we have 80% literacy that's above, that's at college level. And then the remainder are at the li functionally literate level, which means fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade level to the point that every one of our kids goes to college or gets a job. And the great indicator is so many people can't even fill out an application when they're illiterate. But our kids not only fill it out, they have soft skills, they have power skills, they know how to maneuver, and they all get a job or all go to college. But not only that, and that's for the past five years, but not only that, we had our first kid who was in, the, in Jenny School District the entire time, all 13 years, didn't go anywhere else, and literally got a perfect score in the math section of the ACT, a 35 on every other section, so one point from perfect, a scholarship to Harvard and accepted to Harvard. And so he's the only kid in the region, white school district, black school district or other, that's got a perfect score in the math session on ACT and, and the full ride to Harvard. And so that is the proof in the pudding. Uh, the system has been transformed, but it started with the framework of the heart, head and hand. I call it really the three E's of enlightenment. That's the changing and renewing of your mind. Yes. Empowerment. That's really the heart transformation to empower you with your heart and through networks and people. And then engagement. Get up and do something. Kill empathy, uh, apathy. We can't just sit back. We have to do something. So Art, you, you came into this district when it was struggling and you talked about accreditation. When you, when you came in, and I, I know we're advancing rapidly through your childhood, so we, we'll just ignore all that. We'll ignore the fact that you were no, teaching right. kids as a teacher at age 19. We'll, we'll <laughs> ignore your track record and instead talk about more of the macro issues, which are impossible to solve until you make them personal. And then they're incredibly solvable. So just bring it down to one child at a time, one challenge at a time, one opportunity at a time. This is what you've done That's beautifully right. throughout your career. It's what you're doing again in Jennings. When you return to Jennings, is now you're bragging on five straight years of 100% graduation, which is unbelievable. That's not what it was, though, when you came back home. What was it when you took over? And then <laughs> let's talk about some of the things you put in place to get to where it is now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we were struggling. There was division. There were issues there where, you know, people were calling the entire region a dropout factory. I mean, you had parts of our zip code having like, you know, 50% dropout rates. Um, and Arnie Duncan at that time was saying, oh, yeah, this area is a dropout factory. You had, I mean, literally, it's night and day. Uh, and it took the entire community wrapping around saying, this is not who we are. This is not what we are. The, the district was a promise zone, meaning it had higher uh, birth rates of children having children, 18-year-olds or young and having children their own, higher unemployment. 
uh, and higher dropouts. That's what defines a, a promise zone. And so we, it was my goal upon coming to read those promise zone statistics of homelessness, high birth rates of teenage pregnancy, and high dropout and say, and high unemployment and say, that's what my goal would be, to eliminate each one of those. <laughs> and so we created the Career uh, Prep Academy and College Prep Academy to ultimately make sure that every kid had a job before graduation so that you can say, oh, unemployment, nope, not here. Every kid in our district has a paid internship and apprenticeship. Every kid gets up to 60 college credit hours before graduation, free and paid for if you do the work. But so that leadership plan, that Habakkuk 2 and 2, write the vision and make it plain, was by leaning into the trash that was being spoken or that was true to like clean you. it up yes. and to make sure you literally change it. But, I, but your point is exactly right. As far as my childhood, what does that represent? It represents my middle school and high school years when I was like, trying to find my purpose. And as a ninth grader, I met the love of my life. And, uh, and, and literally as an eighth grader, I was reading some books like uh, Sigmund Freud's Psychosexuality, which I couldn't get from the high school. It had to get it from college. But nonetheless, I was in search for what is the meaning? Why am I here? What is the purpose? And, and what could I do? By ninth grade, I knew I needed to have a life mate personally. And I found the love of my life as a ninth grader. I was 14. And I told some people, I said, I met this woman, this girl, this high schooler, she's going to be my wife. Uh, and my, I remember my, my friend say, well, you're trying to say that right now, but she's interested in somebody else. And you're just a kid. You don't know what you're talking about. But I literally wrote a plan, stuck with that plan to be her best friend, closer to her than her own mother. And by 17, she had agreed to marry me. And I literally got married at 17. She was 18 and I was 17. And, and I wanted to follow the Bible and the word to literally make a new union and then ultimately have us tackle the world. And so that was basically creating a life plan. Yes, I did finish high school early, finished all the high school requirements by 16 and a half. I finished college in a, about a, technically in a year and a half after my high school graduation from Lafayette High School. So I'm a, I'm a June 1995 graduate of Lafayette. I'm a December 1996 bachelor's degree recipient, magna cum laude. So a year and a half on paper, but I was taking college classes in high school, of course. And so uh, bottom line is that roadmap that I created for myself with that yearning of trying to find myself, know myself, and be about the enlightenment, the empowerment, and the engagement, I had to make it into a system within Jennings and within other places I went to say, okay, every kid can get 60 college credit hours before graduating from high school. Every kid can have a paid internship, like I was being paid as a substitute teacher at 18, making $100 a, a, a day, uh, and then a teacher by 19, uh, the youngest certified teacher in the state of Missouri by 19. But I was married for two years. I had drive. You better bring some bacon home and do something if you're going to be married and have a good house and a good wife and a good life. Uh, and so it was the right and the vision and making it plain. God bless the plan, doing it the right way. So now a leader takes that and doesn't just do it for themselves. You want everybody to be able to see that, A, if the Lord could do it through you, he could do it for you. And Aren't then, the, B, it, To me, it, it seems it, when you are doing this as a man, as a young man, as a boy, 15, you're a baby. You're, you think you're a man. You don't know anything, man. You're 15. But you've got this plan, you've got this desire, you've got this faith and this strength and this vision of where you want to go in your life and who you want to go there with, this bride of yours. Yeah. It's yeah. hard enough to do it one person. Incredibly hard to do it as a married couple. But now you're a superintendent, man. You're talking about hundreds of young lives. 
who don't have the same vision that your mom and dad gave to you, who don't have the same belief in the belief system that has led you to believe that your best days are in front of you and that they are worthy, that they are beautiful, that they belong, that they're, they're enough, who don't have the ability to read maybe by the age that you learned how to read and the ability to dream, the ability to take college lesson classes like you did. They're not where you were, man. They're not you. So how do you as a superintendent come into a failing district and it's failing, being discredited statewide. That's right. Because you can't just step in with the seniors in high school and say, people, I'm gonna get you a job. At the end of the day, you, you've gotta meet the seniors where they are, but you've gotta start at pre-K. It's gotta be everything in between. It's gotta be this radical reinvention of what was into what can become. That's right. That's right, brother. Uh, no, you're exactly right. It's so complicated. I don't know how you get your hands wrapped around it, and yet you have. So, so have, yeah. So having having done it, I have to say this: it takes everybody. It takes all hands on deck. So I literally had to engage and enthuse. Like literally, the word enthuse means God in us. I had to enthuse the entire system, from the parents to the existing teachers to the pre-K kids. And with the energy and the spirit and the hope that you are great, there's greatness in you. You may not see it, feel it, be able to say it or think it, but greater is he that's in you. <laughs> that's he that's right now in this world. And, and that and that's a true statement you can say without getting any trouble in the public schools. You didn't say <laughs> Jesus, God or anything, but it's the word. And, and, and when you can give person their, a person their superpower, anybody's superpower, is the belief that it is something that's greater than me and great in me that can come out of me. Hope is your superpower. Mm. The second that you get destroyed by hopelessness where life beats you down is when you are tricked by the enemy or even by yourself. And that's why mental health matters. That's why it matters to have a person that's feeding into your heart. You have to feed your mind. I tell people a book for your mind, a, a, like the Bible would be great. A, some songs for your heart, that changes your spirit. Music gets into your spirit and make it uplifting. Don't listen to demonstrative rap or things that's gonna bring you down, say profanity. So listen to things that's gonna lift your heart you up. Challenge your so, kids on that. Music. Because this is a, we all live in a culture that has glorified the rap that's culture. Right. And yes, exactly right. You know, as I hear you whispering, hey, John, I'm not sure that glorifies what is possible in a human being's life, if that is what we turn to okay. for our entertainment, and if that's what we're glorifying. So do you challenge your kids around this and the parents around this? Heck, yes. heck yeah. To, okay. the very, to the very atmosphere that I create when they first walked into a room to have a meeting with me, the very song that I knew I played was Be Optimistic. It's from the Sounds of Blackness. Your whole group could Google it. That's the name of a group, but it's Be Optimistic. And it's about that very thing. It's just changing. I know it's been some tough times, but be optimistic. And that's, you can live, you can win, as long as you keep your head to the sky, looking up to the hills from which cometh your help. That very song from our first day coming in, it was set in an atmosphere for the right spirit to be transmitted. My activities with the group, where I asked them all, I mean, this is simple that I could say on the phone, and I, I do this speaking to thousands and thousands of people. I tell them all to clap, and they begin to clap separately. And I say, okay, that was pretty good. But then I say, on the count of three, we're all going to just do one clap. One, two, three. 
and the clap is so loud, it's deafening. And I said, that's the beauty you have. If you can focus, concentrate that power on one time, it will bust your eardrums. It will bust through life's issues. It will bust through the barriers. And so the bottom line is, then you use your network of power, like many of the people listening to your podcast have a circle of influence, and that circle of influence is power. I ha I'm, on, I'm on 30 boards, and on every board, people were asking me, why are you so crazy? You should be just focused inside here. But what they didn't realize is every board that I served on, there was 30 other people that had more power, different areas, more money, more knowledge, and they became my teammate on the work in the district by me giving some time on the work on being on BJC's board, Boy Scouts of America board, Urban League board, the, and the list goes on and on. And they didn't realize, so that's synergy. And so then now being on the Urban League board, jobs through the workforce development act with aara money that comes from the from when we were in the uh, the situation of having the economy go bust around 2012 and that's a system uh being on the bjc board every parent in my district gets a nurse the nurses for newborn program every parent in my district children high school or other and we have like only two now the, the percentage has gone down to like one percent child pregnancy now because they know that they have a purpose but even before then every pregnant mom old young or other had a nurse a lamaze class and a class on parenting just like my my wife and i went through with our planned child after 10 years putting those systems in place but it took me literally being on 30 boards, the Missouri Chamber of Commerce board, where we wrote the Missouri 2030 Alliance, the plan for the state of Missouri with workforce and development and the economy for the next 10 years from even today. But that board introduced me to all the corporate leaders that yes. said, yes, with a mission and a plan like this, we will give you five spots in each of our corporations if for your kids, if you teach them how to speak well. I, I, we have 26 whales to be well-spoken, well-dressed, well-equipped, uh, and to be on time, uh, but to be wonder kinds. And then you, if you can do that, then you'll be well-paid. And those are part of our wills, our wills. This became the vision that, we, that I said to them too. I said to the kids, I said, children, I said, there are at least a good thousand people that say that they're Art McCoy's friend. And I said, we're gonna put them to the test. If you see them and if they come in and tell you some secrets to success in life, then they are. But if you don't see them, they don't give you some support. If you don't feel it, if you don't get to go to their office to see it, then they're just talk. So let's test them. And as those people started coming in talking to our kids, they started to believe that they can be who they see come and on. who they saw. And that, that was the key. It, that's what it took. Hope is the superpower. It accelerates. It really accelerates. If you so, Aaron, I'm, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions around the superpowers. What do you do as Superman on stage when you're having them clap and you see people in the back row with their arms crossed? Or you see oh. people in the first row saying, this guy's crazy. We've tried this for 20 years. I've been a teacher. It doesn't work. And these kids can't learn. What do you yeah. do as a leader? You're their leader. What do you do in that, in that situation? That's right. That's a great question. You know what? There's a part of me that rises up called my 20th Street side in the city of St. Louis. <laughs> and my hood side comes out of me and it makes me literally go to that role <laughs> and go say to that person, hey, brother, hey, sister, I love you. Do you love me? I mean, I just call them out. Do you not believe what we're talking about? If not, tell me why. And then maybe you may have some truth that I need to yield to, but we're going to tackle it together. But if you don't have some truth, if you just are hopeless, I literally walk up to that hope and I make proximity. Proximity is power. 
So if a person with this much energy and, and spirit walks up to a person without it, one of those two people are going to win. And I know I have so much spirit in me, empowering me that that person just by walking to them changes their continence because I bring with me the, the 10,000 people that I'm standing on the shoulders of, the 20,000 people, the legacy, the four generations, they, darkness and light cannot be in the same atmosphere at the same time. And just by virtue of walking to them, bringing light to them, I promise you, every time that's happened, it's been solvable, changeable, and by simply acknowledging it, not running from it, saying, yeah. I see you, I care about you, do you care about me? No one will say no in public. <laughs> you know, that's, it's positioning and it's making them to think. Now for children, I will walk up to them and honestly give them a hug. And I do that to some adults too. I mean, literally, there was a kid, I can tell you the kid who was that person. And this goes deep. And this is just for your viewers, because I really haven't shared this, uh, really. This is for people who have a deep spiritual understanding. There was a group of people who, who we helped to bring over through the American embassy, the U.S. embassy from Somalia, the Horn of Africa, in the middle of the, uh, of the pretty much like genocide that was occurring uh, in Rwanda and other parts. And they were getting away as refugees from the pirates and others. And we brought 600 of them here from, from there to New York to here to St. Louis. And I was speaking to the family and there was one young man who literally was a blood diamond soldier from Sierra Leone. He had killed about seven people or eight people. He had raped many women. He was a 14, 15 year old boy with a diamond uh, tattoo. And he was trained to be a soldier and a, just a mass murderer. And this general, this I call him a general because he was a warrior, uh, but this gentleman, I there was so much spirit in him that was of darkness from having to do that. That was just dark. It was dark. And you got me coming, and I'm like the antithesis of that. There was no word that I could say to him. There was no word. As soon as I saw the death of him and his where he was at, I had no option besides to just embrace okay. him. And we held each other for 30 minutes until, until like literally tears came out. And then he started having a gut, a gut cry, like a gut is just like a mourn. He was wailing and I was with him. I was, I felt it. I felt it. I, we were fighting spiritually without words. I felt the gut mourn in him. And it was those deaths, those slayings, those visions in his mind that you can't get out of after you've been done it. And you don't want to be that monster. And I, he didn't even have to say those words. I felt it in every cry, feeling his heart, hitting mine, feeling him sweat, feeling him cry. And this was some years back. And I promise you, by the time, it was a long enough hug for a person to get a, a camera that was no cameras there. They got one, they got some film, they recorded part of the hug, took a picture of me and it, and I had it in my office for the next 20 years to remember and remind me of, of, of fighting against spirits Ooh. and principalities and powers and dark places and, and high places. And so in the end, Celia was his name. He, he overcome that, he overcame it. He agreed in his spirit to walk with me. And as he began to walk with me in the next five years, he began to shed that darkness. And he, he was the type of young man that literally, when some, some bloods in the St. Louis city tried to tell him, to give me your stuff, we're gonna attack you. He, with his own hands and they had guns, he literally crippled two of them. And he was a, he was a real warrior. And, uh, and so that young man allowed me to hug him, allowed me in his spirit. He allowed me to place him in a house in Fenton. 
in my brother, Mark, uh, Matt Miller's area, when he was principal there, he literally was adopted by a white family who taught a different culture. He promised me to his death, he wouldn't do anything to dishonor me and, and, and dishonor what I stood for. And he literally kept to that. Salia did. And that young man not only did the right things, graduated and ended up being respectable and able to be human and live. But that is an example. So if I, if I can carry Salia in my heart and his family, there's not a person or a look that I can't confront and then get them to move just far enough to be part of the solution as opposed to part of the problem. They don't have to be as fired up as me, but they have to move. <laughs> they have to move because if, if they don't move out the way, if they don't move their heart to be a part of the solution, then they're going to get run over by the solution. And, and so you got to be on the team. And that's the kind of veracity that we bring to the work we do. It is exhausting. People have to take some breaks because it can wear you out and wear you down. But in the end, what we know is we are giving the, the hope of life, the breath of life to lifeless, hopeless situations. That's how we do 100,000 pounds of food every Friday. Uh, that's how we, we close the digital divide, giving away 2,000 Chromebooks, Chromebooks, 2,000 Chromebooks, so that everyone could ultimately have one in our district. Even though it's urban, high urban, we closed the digital divide. We kept things going in COVID. We created a testing site in our district where people were tested. We made sure, and then we're the first to open up the schools, to have kids physically be there in July on the 6th, because we're not afraid. We're smart enough to do this, and people need it. Art, normally I feel like I'm the one that is sharing energy and trying to lift other people up today. I'm just borrowing yours. I'm, I, uh, I'm, I won't need coffee for several days. Your energy, your light, your love burns bright. I, I'd like you to share a couple examples with our listeners who are hearing your energy, you're hearing your passion, but I wonder if they're hearing the, the effect that you're having on these little ones and the process that you're using. So we could start with the easier ones, which is your high school grads and the things that you've done for them, the Hope House and all these other things that I'd like to get to momentarily. What are you doing yeah. for the little ones? Because to me, if, if we don't speak to and love and provide safety to our littlest ones, oh man, it's going to be a difficult road to guide them forward once they graduate middle school. That's so you, right. You're loving them all where they are, but let's start with the little ones, then we'll get into the high school ones, and then I'll talk about some broad issues we face with racism and, and other challenges in our lives. So talk about what yeah, you're doing with your little ones. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. So the first thing is to be present and to literally go on their level, like on your knees, and look at them eye to eye and give them a high five or give them a hug or say something silly and say, I always like, I like your shoes. You always start with an affirmation. That's what I do every day, all day to thousands of kids. Literally, you get at their level. And the impact of that and just being present and giving a hug and coming by frequently. I literally go to every one of my schools like three times every week just to see them and say, I care about you. How are you doing? And sing a song with them. Every kid and really every person this goes to adults too, but this is what I do with the little ones and I do with the older ones. Everybody wants three S's. Everyone wants to be seen for the real them, the person placed inside of them. They want to be supported. And it's like, so now once you see the real me, you know what my purpose is or what I'm aiming for. How can you help me? Do you support me by affirmation, word, deed, a dollar bill, a donation, a position, a mentorship? How are you supporting me? And then lastly, they want to be affirmed to know that they are sufficient. And if they aren't sufficient for their calling, 
then they want to know that we are sufficient, that together we can do this. And so for my little ones, I give them a I see you, high five, hug, affirmation, like your shoes. I give them a you, hey, I support you. You need anything today? You, you need me to help you with your seat, help you with your paper, write your name, tell you if you got this question right, or even just tell your teacher something that you really want to know, tell your parents something that you really need, that you're afraid to say, I support you. And then lastly, you can do it. Yes. You are sufficient. Together, we're going to do it. This may be hard. It may be hard leaving your parents for a whole day, the first day of elementary school, but you can do it. Why have you brought healthcare and dentists and food and everything else into your schools? To me, it seems from the outside, <laughs> your, your job is to teach them, man. Give them the textbooks and you've done your job. But you, you view your work and your role in transforming and elevating lives far more than straight, straight up education. So that's true. So to your audience, we're the only school district that has two health-based clinics that provides every bit of healthcare, mental healthcare through therapists. We have multiple therapists. We do dentistry. We're the only one with the dentistry uh, within our schools. We do immunizations. They don't have to go anywhere. We're 100% healthcare for every child. And so in addition, so the only district with two healthcare, uh, school-based health clinics with two homeless shelters that our students help to build and so that kids live in it to reduce homelessness. And then two grocery stores that we own and operate, two grocery store food hubs that parents come every day to get free produce from Snooks and from Walgreens. And then we give large amounts out on Fridays. And so that, and then we do child parent interaction therapy, really where we really regulate their mind and help them have yes. therapy to recorrect and retrain the wrongs. So those are, those are a combination of, of two things caused that. One was the need, a mantra of moving at the speed of the need for the children and the families. And because there's a great need, there's a lot of comorbidities of healthcare issues. There's a lot of, of, of societal deficits that's called the basically, it's, it's often referred to as the uh, disparity, social determinants of health. And so many things in society determines one's health, social determinants of health. So bottom line is we make our schools centers for healing engagement, centers for healthcare, centers for healing engagement means we will heal your heart, your soul, your mind, whatever you need. We're a center to heal you, to engage in a way that heals you. We a house if you need them, a house parent, food, clothes, uniforms. A lot of friends gives us a lot of money and a lot of materials and a lot of expertise to make sure that kids have everything they need. But the second thing is to prove to the other people in the system, other superintendents, other yes. principals, other teachers, that it is possible. That you don't have to play in your little sandbox. You can create a world for them that's a protected world to make everybody sufficient. So it's to also have that entrepreneurial spirit that says, something itching in me. This isn't enough. We got to push further, harder, faster to meet the need. And, and so it's a little bit of both, the, the entrepreneurial spirit, but of course, the social just the ability to move at the speed of the need and the desire to make that happen. So that's, that's, uh, that's the reason behind it. And it works. It, it works. does work. You, your students not only live in some of these homes, they help build some of these homes. I think you built two homes, not a hope homes. Just talk about the that's process right. man, of get, getting the, the dollars, the students, the belief, the dream of building something. You have homelessness. hundred percent of your kids are, are free and reduced uh, lunch. There's a profound need in this community. And rather than, busting away from it you're saying no we got this we got this we can't do it by ourselves but we can do this once you have a few success points people begin to believe in the vision and the mission they believe that it's possible and they begin to say how can i help 
And then once you get better people than yourself to jump to the table to say, how can I chip in? Then magic occurs that couldn't have happened alone. And so ultimately it starts with one clinic. Then another one says, I can make a better clinic or I can help take half. You do the elementary, I do the secondary. And then another therapist comes and says, let me try to pilot something that's an emerging practice. Let's try yoga in classrooms. Let's try deep meditation. And now you become real biofeedback centers for healing engagement everywhere and one of the first to do it. Then another psychiatrist comes and says, well, let's do parent-child interaction therapy where we literally map the neurons of the brain of a child to see if they are all in the emotional part, the amygdala, the back of their head, or if they're in the executive functioning part where you make decisions and have delayed gratification. We literally teach parents that, we teach students that. And, and so it's like this contagious effect that good attracts good and it expands or bad attracts bad and, it, and that expands. So you have to just bring in the light, bring in the solutions, bring in the good seekers, the God seekers, the connection makers, the relationship builders. And it begins to take a life of its own and grow in ways that you couldn't control it. That's the thing with COVID and other things, uh, protests going on. You know, a lot of people like myself say, Lord, this is an opportunity to make a better reality than before. To defeat COVID, we must be better than before. But here's the deal. Some of us want it to be our version of better. And when we don't see our version of better happening, then we get discouraged. We have to give it to the Lord and know that the Lord's version of better is gonna be a million times better than our version of better. So when it doesn't happen at the speed that we want it, the way that we want it, the, the time that we want it, when you see two steps back after one step forward, you have to know and be a part of the solution of God's version of it being better than it ever was before. Because clearly to get out of this, we have to be together and better because the threat is together and therefore we must be better. Or you brought up the word protest, and clearly there have been protests over the last month, and I, I think the protests will continue going forward for some time. You had a group of kids, I think three years ago at your high school, marched down to the police station. And, and it wasn't to uh, disrupt, it was to connect. Can you, can you share that story and what happened out of it? As most people know, we had Michael Brown and his death. Uh, Michael Brown's sister was a student of ours and uh, Deja Brown, and she led the protest, and she's now a graduate of 2017. But a few things that we did was we said that we matter and that we care, but in order for you to really know that we matter and we care, we must form a relationship with you all. So we're gonna come see you, we're gonna come, we're gonna come say, what can we do together? What can you do to help us? So do you see us? Do you support us? Will you be a mentor? Will you come play basketball with us? Will you do gardening with us as police officers voluntarily, not being paid? And then can we learn together so we can be sufficient and not die anymore? And I promise you, not only did our kids start and leave that, but then Leslie McSpadden, Michael Brown's mother, who was the same one on the camera, whose husband said, you know, let's burn it down. I challenged her. She came to me and said, Dr. Coy, help me start a foundation. I said, no, not unless you do three things. Number one, finish what you started, get your diploma. She enrolled in our adult GD program, which we created for people like her, and she got her GD. Check mark on number one. Now you're educated. We're eliminating ignorance to some degree. Promise number two, you need to meet with the police chief and captain to reconcile because we're centers for healing engagement. If you're going to meet with them, I'll facilitate it. She sat down and met, the chief came over, the captain, and the first words out of the captain's mouth, who was awesome, he said, you know, we really regret what happened. 
and what happened with your son. And then Leslie said, I regret what happened too. And then he said, we really don't dislike you. We, we actually do care for you. And then she said, I don't dislike you either. I care for you too. I just, we feel the same way. And I said, oh, thank you, Lord. That's common ground. And now I can move in to say, you guys are the same. <laughs> and they embraced and hugged just like Celia and I did for 30 minutes. They did and they cried and they said, what can we do together? So that was check mark on number two, reconciling. Requirement number three that I gave her was, you need to do your foundation with police officers. She wanted to build gardens. She wanted to teach people about better nutrition and how to be healthy. And I said, okay, if the police can be mentors, if they can help the students with gardening, then you bring your students that you've influenced and then we'll have them come and mentor ours and we'll do it together. And she agreed. And that was the totality of working together to move forward. But it started with our children saying, let's march, let's talk. Do they see us? Will they support us? Can they tell us what, why they don't like us? Why do they not like us? And then the cops are like, we don't not like you. We want to keep order and peace. Well, why can't you protect us? Well, we can and will, but we have to stop wrong from happening. So then I said, let's make a career prep academy uh, program out of it. So that's one of our seven yes. academies. We have the careers and, law, careers and pathways in law enforcement. It's called CABLE. Careers and Pathways in Law Enforcement. And literally 100 plus kids work like uh, 240 hours with cops to learn how to shoot, learn gun safety. They learn respect. They learn how hard it is to be an actual cop and get out, out of a car with a siren. They get nice. to role play and walk to a car and be afraid if somebody has something. So, they, so the shoes can be turned on the other side. There's some empathy. Mm. And so, but really it started with our kids saying, you know, we're here, do something with us. And, I, and we had to say as adults, how do we enlighten them to the reality? How do we empower them to get more than they have? And how do we engage them to be better? So now as people are saying defund the police, my same students that are part of cable, or they say this, this is a quote that one posted. They said, bad cops must go, good cops must grow, and you're looking at one of them in the future. And that's what these kids are saying. Not only do they acknowledge that there's some bad, they acknowledge there's many good, and then they acknowledge that they want to be the next good one. So that it's community-based. And, and they are a part of a pre-cadet academy that leads to a cadet academy that leads to the, the actual job because they have faith in the system still. You, you also were on CNN recently, and, and uh, I know a whole lot of other superintendents were being challenged to defund the police, to get rid of all resource officers, and to make sure that no blue ever interacts ever again with a person of color. And you said, no. Not here. Tell, tell That's me, exactly right. Why'd you take that stand? You know what? I took this stance because it was the right stance to take. That's number one. Number two, because their soundbite hijacked something that could be fruitful. And it, defund is never what it was about. It was about reallocating it so that the people have more support, more representation, and more protection. And so I had to say, we are in the future. That's what, was, that's what I literally said to CNN and to NPR. We are in the future in the sense that we learned from the eels of Michael Brown. We did the hard work of coming together and reconciling. We have pathways with cops mentoring, having social, uh, social training and trauma-informed training and, co and cultural competency training and representation in our schools. We have that. And we have a pipeline for kids to become cops, kids to have responsibility as, as security officers, as watch officers, and as just little uh, crossing guard officers at younger ages. I said, we are literally what you are aiming for others to become. And so we will not destroy what is the solution. We'll help you get there, but we won't go back in time 
to say we're going to stop funding it just to get on your bandwagon. And I said, so that was the rationale. And, I, and the frank matter is that, that no one needs less cops. We all just need better cops. And we need people who just care about us because many of them are good. And they, you just ultimately need to find the good and you need to grow the good. So the issue with George Floyd and the issue with that officer was simply, it's, it can be summarized like this. People are talking about systemic racism and that, that does exist. We can't not acknowledge that. Here's what it looks like though. That gentleman was a supervisor with 17 office referrals or referrals to do something with that none of them led to his dismissal because of some support from the union, the fraternal, the order of the police. And he was literally training others that were watching him to basically destroy a person. So the issue is when you have a system that not only doesn't get rid of someone who's got 17 disciplinary uh, causes, but you promote them to have them be the trainer, that is by definition systemic. And so you have to grow the good, you have to eliminate the bad, and you have to include the people that you're actually serving to make that happen. So when we make the police officers that are serving us come from the area, they have an inherent love for the area. They have an inherent understanding of who the teachers are, who the parents are, because you grew up here, just like I did to become the superintendent here. And those pieces help. But ultimately, we have to destroy the bad in us. And that, that's the other thing we all have seen. There's, there's the biggest room in our house is the room for improvement. And that's everybody. That's everybody. And so the bottom line is, if you're not seeking out that improvement for yourself and your system, if you're a leader, then you're not doing your job. And that's, that, there's so many oppressions. Racial oppression is one of many. There are other oppressions. There's, there's abilities where people who, who, who are abled and not body abled, they are oppressed. Ageism, sexism, mm -hmm. there's even religious oppression. And so the bottom line is we have a responsibility to know that the biggest room in all of our houses, systemically our house or individually, is our room for improvement. All right, as we, as we begin moving toward the finish line, we always wrap up with seven questions called the Live Inspired Seven, but before we do, I'm curious, a lot of our listeners come through where John O'Leary has spoken in the past, which means a lot of our listeners are educators. They're staff, they're custodial leaders, they're bus drivers, they're superintendents and principals. And a lot of them think that um, this problem's too big. That whether the problem's the one kid in the class, funding, uh, the systematic challenges that we face, it's just too big. So what advice might you give right now to my educators who, who who love living inspired, but also sometimes struggle trying to live it in a day in and day out basis when the, the struggle is so real still? Yeah, brother, that's a great question. So I, I'm tempted to go deep with your audience because I know that they're mature and able to handle it. So let me give you the simple principle is, you know, the African principle is how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is you eat an elephant one bite at a time. <laughs> that means you have to break it down to small parts and tackle it. Uh, and I'm reminded of Jesus because there's, four lessons of Jesus that people don't know and don't study well enough. And this question makes me think of one part of Jesus that people have to know. Jesus went to the temple and saw what was going on in the temple, money exchanging and unfair money exchanging in his father's house. And he literally turned tables over. And then the Bible says that he, uh, he angered, but he sinned not. But ultimately, he ran after he turned over tables to ultimately say, this can't happen. This house should be a house of prayer. 
And then he ran from the authorities who were gonna come get him for peace disturbance. But the Bible says he sinned not, which means that there is a higher law sometimes in the corner laws that's based off of a burning in your spirit, but it's also based off of the written word. He literally was acting out Jeremiah and he was acting out Isaiah chapter 56. So he knew the word, what was written, and he knew that he had came with that burning in his heart to fulfill the written word, and then he did it. And so every one of you, I would challenge who feels overwhelmed to seek your heart's burning desire, to know what's in your heart, what's your purpose, and then to seek the word. And when the word and your burning heart's purpose align, then you know you're in alignment with that calling of what you have been charged to tackle. Then you have to step out on faith and ask for the support, ask for the money, take the action. I mean, I've always had a job description to ask and raise at least a million dollars of private dollars to do things for people that the public taxpayer dollars just couldn't do and wouldn't stretch out to do. And it started when the tax cuts were being given to corporations, like $57, $54 million tax cut to Boeing, I remember in 2011. And I went to them, to the vice president, and then got to the president to say, that would have been $2 million to my district to give more teachers, more classrooms. Can you give me just half of that, $1 million? And they sure enough did. They gave it. And so it's like, okay, you have not because you asked not. And therefore, you have to step out on faith. You have to write it, you have to plan it, and you have to be persistent because they may not give it the first time you ask, not the second time you ask. It may not work the first time you try, the second time you try, but you have to stick with it. And today we're raising like $5 million of private funds every, every other year to make sure that we meet the need at the speed of the need. Sometimes it's 5 million every year. Uh, we've had some good years sometimes. <laughs> and so, but the bottom line is if I can do it, if God can do it through me, he can definitely do it for you and with you because uh, I'm a living proof and witness of that. Well, it's Dr. Possible. McCoy, that, that's your answer as a superintendent, as a leader, as a teacher, as an educator, as a human being. Eventually though, you leave that building and you come to a different one called home. And these people right. leave work exhausted, just wiped, mm -hmm. man, completely spent. They poured the best of their days into little ones that go back to different mothers, different fathers, different leaders, different guardians. How do you refill your bucket? And what advice might you have for us to have a little bit more energy for us to take care of ourselves or our little ones? Definitely. You have to give each room in your life a little bit of time, 10 minutes. Those rooms are your mind, your body, and your spirit, your soul. Uh, it, each of those need some time. So five to 10 minutes even. Like when I wake up in the morning, I always keep a notepad at my side of my desk just to jot things down because it's, my mind is racing. Or I read a good book. Or even you can veg out on Netflix and watch something on TV that takes your mind to another place. It gives your mind a way to recharge or to empty out. Or you can sit in a room with nothing, just straight darkness, and open your eyes in a dark room and filter and empty your mind out and see how fidgety you are and how much you don't want to just sit there, how much you don't want, until you can hear yourself breathe, until you can feel the pulse of your heartbeat by your stillness. That empties your mind. Then you need to do that same kind of thing for your body, exercise, uh, do something to get some absorption out, do something that increases your heart rate, something, even if you can't move very, very far, you can do something that's strenuous enough to be a workout. And so ultimately work your body out sometime every day because it helps you to be healthy. You have to sleep, you have to hydrate yourself. And then lastly, your spirit. 
music is one easy way to connect you to a time, a place, a thought. If you play that song that you knew that you heard when you were falling in love with someone, it takes you back to that place. Use music as a quick trans teleportation device. <laughs> it teleports you spiritually to a better thought place. And so make, make that change happen. And then it can move from music to something else that spiritually fills you, whether it's looking at God's great creation, whether it's looking at your child, spending some time just listening, something that you're at all about, a, a piece of drawing, artistry, or even a vacation that you were at, and look at that and go to that mental space. You can do it even in your mind and just think about that mental space and then drive or walk back or fly back from that mental space, even if it's in your mind, back to where you're at. That's how people in prison can even recharge to make it through prison. It's by self-accusation and actually it's called biofeedback, guided imagery. But the bottom line is get to understand those things that bring you a little bit more peace, a little bit more balance. Here's the deal. In the Ferguson situation for me, it was one of the most peaceful times when it was the hardest times for many others because my home was a refuge of peace. Mm. And so anytime I make it to my home, it's like when we used to play tag as kids, it's like tag, you're it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but if you can make it to home base, you're safe. You get That's to right. sigh, you get to exhale, you get to be yourself, you get to, you get to let it all go. Make sure you schedule a time and a way for you to have that moment with yourself at home as best you can. And if you have little ones, then you make it so that that time with them can be as much as that as possible because everything you, everything they see from you, they can be. And so make sure they see the right things. Uh, that's important. You have to have home be a refuge. All right, as, as a the final question before our Live Inspired 7, there are many of us on the streets, there are many of us uh, though who are watching what is taking place and we don't really fully understand it, although I think we, there can't be a human being that doesn't want the problems that we currently face to be eradicated. That, that, that right. don't want children to have a safe place to go and to grow and to become better versions of themselves. People of all colors, black, white. What might you offer to our listeners right now is the first step they can take to make a difference in this, in this marketplace that is providing us unfiltered access to be part of the solution. Like really, like the problem is now being spoken about. It's coming, That's you right. talked earlier about light and dark. Well, baby, it is out of the closet. It is into the, the light. It is on the streets. The problem is being at least spoken about. Different That's solutions right. are being thrown out there. But what solution can a single individual make to begin journeying forward to, uh, I mean, you, you, you're changing lives. I think all of us want to. How can we begin partnering with you to, to be change agents for good? So I say often, we have to show up. We have to grow up. We have to sometimes act up because it's not always accepted by the system. Like when Jesus turned those tables, that he was doing it for just and righteous reasons. And some would say, you're acting up. That sounds like you're challenging, but some things need to be challenged. But ultimately, we need to make sure that we love up like we, and we lift up. And ultimately, when you see people who are like defeated, make sure you encourage them in some kind of way to never give up. Mm. And that's, I mean, one of the most important things because that I can't breathe statement is real, not just for George Floyd, who had a literal knee on his neck, but it's literally a system that has tons of people feeling like they can't breathe. That's why suicide rates is the second leading cause of death in America for age 10 to 40, 35. And because the system suffocates. And so when you help a person know not to give up, when you say to a person, I see you, I support you, a kind note, in this COVID reality, especially when we're in silos more than before, that goes a long way. 
just showing up, speaking up, standing up, and just being someone who lifts up. Love lifts. And so that would be my advice. Find it, get in where you can fit it in, and it's never not enough time to be kind. So make the time, and it'll work out just fine. Dr. Art McCoy, as director of all things uh, education, I'm going to insist that every superintendent be mandated to listen to your interview because you are so full of optimism and hope, and it's this contagious, ferocious belief that our better days are to come, but you got to show up for it. And, and just a couple notes that I took, and I took two pages, and your optimism, this idea of a unified agenda, unified agenda, this idea of finding common ground, I think as long as you see your side of the story and I see mine, we'll never see in between, and yet you're saying there's nuance, John, there's nuance. Come across the boundaries, man. Let's see what we can do together. Be seen, be supported, be sufficient. So I wanted to wrap up with seven questions for, questions for you, beginning with question number one. These are called the Live Inspired Seven Art. What's the best book you've ever read? <laughs> That's too hard. As an educator, I'm sitting here with thousands of books around. Good one, my but friend. I'll say, but I'll say, I have to take the easy route. <laughs> the Bible is the best book I've ever read. That's the easy route. Uh, but I do have tons of books. And I would say right now, one of the good books uh, is, uh, is really The Social Contract by... Uh, by, and it's an old one. It's a good one. It's sitting here right on my floor, but by Rousseau. And uh, since me, many people are saying the contract is broken, people have to understand what that's about. That's a good one for that context. Uh, but I have so many books that it's hard to single out. With. And my last one that I would give, if I had to have one person have one book to read that's a favorite, uh, if I had to go on an island, the book I would take with me is The Road Less Traveled hmm. by Scott Peck. Okay. You know, since I have you on this podcast, how many of our listeners, I think, have this, this tension that they're feeling like they want to do more, but they don't even understand the problem. For those of us who, who grew up not even recognizing that there are some advantages and privileges that we, were just, we just received. We're, we're not, we shouldn't be negatively judged for that, but it just is a fact that we, we received this upbringing and we received many gifts along the way. What's a way that you would suggest a book maybe that we can begin to learn about some of the challenges that exist racially in mm. poverty in our in yeah. inner cities, school systems, whatever it might be. Is there a book that you would say, John, if you were wow. going to start a book club today, man, lean into this one first. <laughs> That's a great question. I uh, can give a few. So I'm showing you the one that I just said, because I really literally have them right by me. But the one that I would say is stamped from the beginning is a book about the issues that African-Americans face systemically from the beginning that has them swimming the opposite direction of the current. So if privilege is easily defined as swimming with the current, where the, the current pushes you and it makes everything easier and you actually are in a school of fish. And so even the group that you're with pushes you faster because you're keeping up with that school of fish swimming in the direction of the current then oppression is not being with the school of vision right. and trying to swim the opposite direction. Uh, and that's literally what some people experience, many people in African-American black people experience. And then some experience being a fish out of water, which is literally, I can't breathe. I mean, literally every two hours, 1.14 African-Americans die from an act of violence every two hours. And so, I mean, those statistics are real. Um, and so, the book stamped from the beginning is a good one. Another one is uh, the post-traumatic slave syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGruy. And so that's, that's a good one that really talks about the journey of healing. If you're injured, 
and have a, a view that's been affected by the system, it's a form of really depression that, that this uh, psychologist coined as post-traumatic slave syndrome. Uh, so those are really two good ones that break it down in a way that's really, really, really good. Thank you. What, what's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little boy in Jennings, Missouri, that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? I still think the courage, the courage to go bigger is what I really pray for. I, I really do. I, I, I have a desire. I, I sincerely mean that. Like, I really thought that anything was possible. And now that you know more, it's like, oh, it may not be possible, or it could be possible, but it's not probable. Well, to heck with that. I could do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I really want to go bigger. I was saying to people, it's not enough to, to be the, the educator. It's not enough to have the clinics. It's not enough to have the grocery stores. It's not enough. I, I became a COVID-19 contact uh, tr tracer through John Hopkins University course so I could really know and do and help others. It's still not enough. We, we fed t a, a thousand Kenyans who were starving because of COVID having to lose their job and losing tourists. And that's not enough. So I really pray to God, give me uh, more understanding of what it is that he would have me to do, uh, but to really dream big. That, that, that's really how true I was as a child. And I want to go back to even going bigger than, than what I've seen. You know, it, it, there's, a, there's a problem. See, it's in good to great where, you know, good boxes you in. Right. And so like if I literally made set cassette tapes, told my wife this is what was going to happen, predicted it and we did it like within five to 10 years of most, if not all of it. And it's like, okay, now after you've done that, you have to go dream again. That's right. Stop, stop being okay with it. So I got to dream again. <laughs> Man, I can't wait to interview you in 10 years because what you've done over the last five in Jennings alone is stunning and humbling and beautiful and deeply inspiring. And what you, you are going to do is you continue to dream big with a little bit of courage, man. It's awesome. All right, if your home caught fire and your spouse and your little one, they're out safely, the, the pets are out safely, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, just one thing. What do you run in and grab? Out of all this stuff, and it can all go away, there's, there's not one thing that I would want more than um, making sure that I got a collage that I have of my great, great, great grandmothers uh, who were like in slavery. Um, because that gives me so much fuel and strength to see their struggle and still be ministering and so forth. It's a part of the legacy, the heritage. And even though I know I have it digitally, I got to be able to pass it down to the next generation. I got to be faithful. It made it this far, uh, just like we have. And, uh, and so it has to continue to go forward. Uh, that would be the one thing I would definitely run back into the house to make sure it was taken care of. You know, a great, great grandmother. That's not that long ago. And you're talking about a woman who was a slave. And I think a lot of folks, and I'm guilty of this from time to time, if I'm just being completely wildly transparent, think, man, that's a long time ago. Maybe it's time to turn the page and come on, people, let's go. No. Uh, it's not that long ago. A great, great grandmother was a that's slave right. to someone. Yep. That's exactly right. She was a slave. Yes, literally. I mean, my, my parents are 87. Uh, their parents were domestic uh, indentured workers, home housekeepers, and their parents were slaves. The parents were that were slaves, and I know the names of every one of them, and just happen to have a picture of them too, in some nice laced up boots. 
that literally cost their lifetime fortune because that's what they carried in their heart to be able to represent something different than their situation. Um, Otter, are you willing to share that picture with me so I can put it online so folks can see it on the, in the show notes? Uh, by all means. Yes, sir. I'll forward it to you. So we, we will have a yes, copy sir. of Art's great, great grandmother and those boots and those laces yes. on the Live Inspired podcast show notes. So uh, I personally can't wait to see it and I'm humbled to, uh, to share it. God bless you, man. Yes, sir. Well, my friend, if you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anybody, anybody living or dead who do you want to have that nice long conversation with you know i have an answer to this but it's because of my crazy way uh my crazy crazy way of thinking it's a real selfish answer i apologize it would be literally myself 10 to 5 minutes before death before literally my death and i and i would literally want to be talking to myself like literally right before my death because I feel like that conversation can change the trajectory of everything that led up to that moment. And if it was worth it or not, and to just keep doing it, or not, I would really want it to I mean, cause I, if you believe in God, then you understand that after death, you're going to get to see everybody who you probably want to talk to anyway, if you believe in heaven and so forth. <laughs> uh, Art, have so, you been asked that question before? No, no, not, not, not that question. No, but Man, I've, I've been, never, 275 interviews, never once heard that in, and I'll never, I'll never forget it again. And I hope I give a, yeah. as wise an answer when someone asks me a goofy question like this. Because right, <laughs> who better than yourself to say, brother, be aware of this, man. Recognize the value of this. Don't do that. That's exactly right. I mean, literally, can you imagine people, people who are listening, the things you would have averted, the things you could be okay with doing, the things you could even invest in if you literally do uh, right now, but just 10 minutes before your death. Uh, as long as that might be or as short as that might be. I mean, like literally, if you're going to die in the next hour, you would want to know that. <laughs> right. Great answer, man. I'll never forget it. What's the best advice, Art, you've ever received? Mm, my brother's advice uh, before he died at 39 and I was 22. Uh, his last words, and I was his bone marrow donor, and, uh, but it didn't take, and he died from leukemia uh, very early. And he, was, he became, he was security driver and a parker from the airport and, uh, and helping a lot of flight attendants. So, but, uh, and then he became a minister and then he became a teacher and then he became an assistant principal and died. Uh, and he said, Art, keep doing what you are doing. And what that meant was I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be faithful to God, but I wanted to minister outside the four walls of the church. And I wanted to do it with people to help them to be the love of Christ. And, uh, and that's what he was alluding to because he was going the traditional path of wanting to be an assistant pastor and so forth and in a structure. And his words before he died was, no, you're doing it the right way, brother. Keep doing it the way you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Dr. Art McCoy, what advice would you give yourself at age 20? So you've had a, <laughs> a little bit of time now to uh, understand yeah. what worked and what did not work as a man who's been married for three years, and a man who's seven <laughs> years away from a daughter showing up in his world and everything else. But what advice would you give yourself at age 20? Again, that to, to be faithful to what you know is true and to follow your heart. And when you feel like it's most wrong or something's going to go wrong, know that God is going to carry you through it. And sometimes you have to go through it to grow through it. And so be okay with going through it to grow through it because there's no other way of growth, no better way of growth uh, than to go through it sincerely and earnestly. Yeah, that, that, would, be about, that would be about it because I would not change a thing um, 
and really it's been a life of courage. Dr. Art McCoy, one of the great superintendents that I know and one of the great men that I look up to, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? I, the best answer I can give right now is really the heart song that I created already for like my mission statement in life, my, my heart song. And that is, it's severing, it's really sages, one word, but every letter stands for something. Sages, you know, and the word sage means to be ahead of your time, to be wise or something uh, about something. Uh, severing achievement gaps that exist in society and severing attainment gaps that exist. Uh, severing the, the achievement gaps that exist with students and severing attainment gaps that exist in society. So that's two different meanings. One sentence with the word sages twice. Severing achievement gaps that exist with students and severing attainment gaps that exist in society. We cut it off. We cut off the gaps that exist in society with individuals um, so that the have-nots can have. And be that hope, help, healing, uh, the hookup with some money. <laughs> but that's what we have to sever. That, that would be it that I would like it to be said that he, that he was here and he made a difference. It's so good. Brother, you are severing those gaps. You're doing it one at a time and through your position and through your influence and through your network, you're scaling that impact. And I wanna thank you for doing that in our own backyard in Jennings, Missouri. I wanna thank you for doing that as a, a model for us around the United States and around the world. And I wanna thank you for being my friend along the way. So. Uh, my friends, that is Dr. Art McCoy. My name is John O'Leary. Let's build the bridges. Let's sever the gaps. And let's recognize that the best days remain in front of us. So for this time and until next time, this is your day. Live inspired.